Hi, my name is Stephen. Hi, I'm April. This is the Three Pi Squared ABA Business Leaders Podcast, where we discuss topics on how to create and grow an ethical and sustainable ABA practice. Together, Stephen and I owned a seven-figure ABA practice that provided both clinic and in-home services. Three Pi Squared has helped over 900 ABA practices start up and expand with our comprehensive products and services geared specifically to ABA. Now, let's get to the podcast. All right. Hello, everyone. Today, we are here with our BCBA panel. We're excited to have everyone back, and we're going to be continuing our discussion about client safety, and um, we're going to be discussing some of the uh, current uh, news um, reports out about some um, abuse and things. So do want to give like a little trigger warning for those um, who this may be sensitive information for. But I'm just going to go ahead and start. So um, having everyone introduce themselves and then we'll go from there. I'll go ahead. My name is Mallory Stinger. Um, I practice in the state of Washington um, and I do only in-home services. I'm Derek Tony. Uh, I'm also in Washington, and I run a small uh, clinic uh, outside of Tacoma in Washington. My name is Jennifer Helton, and I run a um, small clinic in Grapevine, Texas. This is Robin Stone, and um, I've been in business um, since 2000, and um, we do in-home and center-based services, and, and we serve the Atlanta, Georgia, and surrounding areas. Well, welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. There, there have been a couple of articles out about really RBTs and alleged abuse towards um, clients that they, you know, that they provide services for. There was also another case where an RBT got in trouble for not reporting something that they had, you know, seen. So, you know, let's just kind of start there. Maybe our, like, you guys' responses or thoughts around those, like, current events. And then if that takes us off and you know, kind of down um, another, pro- you know, um, avenue of things that you guys do within your clinics and your in-home services to try to help keep everyone safe or, you know, ideas that you guys may have moving forward. So, yeah, I'm just going to open the floor to you guys. I could talk a lot about this topic. That I'm sure kind of all of us could uh, because it's the biggest thing uh, and anything that we do, nothing else matters remotely close to how much safety and proper care uh, matters. Um, so yeah, this could be a 12 hour, uh, discussion and we would just barely touch the, the tip. I, I think that for me, and again, I could go on for a long time, but just the, the, to start, uh, I think that, you know, in my own center and how I go about trying to shift things in the right direction from the start is in the environment, obviously, and, and how I kind of model my interactions with people and in the news articles that we read, I just kept thinking that sounds like a hostile place. And I think it is on management and leaders in that organization to kind of set the tone for the environment uh, to where I am very clearly not trying to control anyone in my uh, group, whether that's the RBT, BCBAs, or clients or families. Uh, control is not our goal by any means. When it feels like it is, and it, and it doesn't work because what we do is very difficult and we're gonna fail a lot. When someone fails or a client doesn't respond in a way that we, we, we would want, 
that's very frustrating. You know, our behavior is on extinction, so we get really frustrated. And then all of a sudden, we land in these really ugly situations where something bad could happen. And so for me, I think it starts just on the surface level with the tone uh, of the environment of that place. Uh, it's okay they don't do what you say. It's kind of silly to think that they would. You know, most of our kids, they don't speak our language yet. Uh, so why would they? You know, and kind of taking that approach. And I'm like, well, they're three. You know, every time someone's like, well, they did this. I'm like, well, they're, they're three uh, and they're not speaking yet. And when I, and so I really work with my staff on their own perceptions that might lead to frustrations because when frustrations occur, all of a sudden something bad can unfold. So I really, you know, just starting the conversation, that's how I look at these situations and the news articles. It just sounded like a hostile place. And I really think that that could have been avoided if the overall attitude of the setting was changed. Um, I think it's also helpful to make sure you're hiring the right staff and um, do like a lengthy training period and oversight period and shadowing period, just to make sure you're finding someone that's got the right personality to work with these kiddos, that ha is a patient person, that doesn't have like a militant style where they're like my way or the highway. We had one recently we let go pretty quickly because he was, you know, he had this feeling like he was going to tell the kid like, well, I told you to do this, so you have to do it. And, and like kind of getting into um, picking battles and not picking them well. So I think it's important to take your time with hiring and provide enough oversight with multiple people as much as possible to get feedback and let everybody else provide feedback on the new hire staff to determine if they feel like, one, this person is going to be a good fit for the organization, for the clients you have lined up for them, and if their temperament and personality, as well as their education and background and training is up to par with being able to handle what we do on a daily basis, because it is difficult. And, you know, everyone has hard days, but you can't ever give yourself the excuse of taking it out on one of your, the kids you work with. So I think it's important to look for red flags early on with the staff. And if anyone reports anything or feels like the person's a little off or notices any changes in the behavior of the clients they're working with, that more people step in and do some observations just to make sure that nothing is going on, you know, and have... If you're in a center, we you know like to have open door policy. You know, a lot of people will have cameras in their centers, um, and or you at least have an open door policy where people can walk in unannounced. <clears throat> so we'll have like scheduled supervisions as well as unscheduled pop-ins, as well as admin popping in at random times during the day, just to make sure that there's always accountability and the expectation that we could walk in at any moment. So make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and and treating the child with respect um, at all times. So I think those are things that we kind of look for and we do it a lot, you know, early on, especially, um, and then kind of make it more unexpected as time goes on. I want to kind of piggyback on both of what y'all said, like to Derek's point about, I, I know ABA is about sometimes about compliance, but really at the end of it, you're really trying to teach a child. You should be trying to teach a child how to advocate for themselves. And because what the answer is, what you want the answer to be, doesn't mean that their answer isn't correct. And I've, and I've seen that a lot in the field over the years is because what the therapist thought the answer should be, the child answered something else that was appropriate, it wasn't considered a correct answer. And that's not fair. That's taking the autonomy away from that child and also teaching them that their voice doesn't matter um, and their opinions don't matter. And so I think that's something you have to look at. Um, we have an open door policy as well. Our doors are open. There are times when the doors may be closed if the child is going into a behavior and it's more of a safety thing at that 
we chose to put cameras in our in our center. Um, our parents appreciate that. We did a lot of research and everything before we did that. Um, I think from you know Derek's point, leadership is huge. How how are the leaders on site? Are they there? Do they recognize if they see that the therapist is getting heightened in their, their emotions? Like, are they responding emotional? And are they going in there and helping to intervene and say, hey, take a minute, let me grab, you know, and making sure that there's support just overall for your staff and that it's a team approach. Like everybody's there to help the child and help each other. And if you're feeling like you need a minute, you should feel confident that you could ask the rest of your team to step in there because just like we all are, we're all human. And, you know, you have to, you have to recognize that. I think another big thing is playing to the strengths of your therapists and your team. If you have a staff member who's stronger with, and, and they're happier with kids who are maybe older and trying to force a relationship with a younger child and putting them in that, that's like putting a square peg in a round hole and you're not building to that that um, individual strengths. I mean, sometimes people, we do need to just get in there and do it, and it's a good experience. But if you're p- playing to your team's strengths, that also builds into that happiness or that less hostile environment that the staff are feeling supported and they're being utilized in a manner in which they feel like they're helping the kids instead of being forced into something. You know, I, I agree with Derek. I, I agree with Robin. I don't, you shouldn't be forcing anybody Nobody's going to follow if you force, but if you can influence and you can guide and you can move to the strengths of your staff, that will overarchingly help with the kids and then really always reinforcing safety. Safety, safety, safety is paramount. I think um, when I first started in the field um, as a behavior interventionist, one of my supervisors talked to me very early on that um, to always keep in mind that it's not a battle of the wills. Because I think that that's the compliance piece that some of us are talking about. And I think it is easy to get on that bandwagon of like, you know, no, I asked you to do something, you need to do it. Of course, we, we want to um, work with them to comply with requests that are, you know, appropriate. And, but there's going to be times that they're not going to do it. And so we need to redirect, refocus, right? So if we can continue to remind ourselves, this isn't a battle of the wills, right? We, we don't need to focus so much on that. Um, and I've def- I definitely have taken that to heart over the years. Um, I think that the self-advocacy portion of it that you guys kind of all mentioned, I recently just started working with a speech pathologist and that was one of the things we talked about. And I specifically put a more in-depth communication section within their report that talks about like, you know, where they're at um, in general and our collaboration with the speech pathologist. And then the very first program that's listed is self-advocacy and and what goals they have um, for that. Because um, it actually was a, a parent um, that is now um, a speech pathologist assistant. And then I know, you know, I no longer serve them um, for almost two years now. And she has really just like, I mean, supported me in making sure that that self-advocacy piece is there. It's in the report. It's laid out and outlined for my text. Um, and, you know, when we're talking and collaborating, it's so great for me to be able to take notes and then take it back to my RBTs and say like, hey, this is kind of what it looks like. And, you know, he needs some more space to be able to self-advocate yeah, I don't like that. Or I do like that. And of course it's going to look different for every kiddo. So we have to make sure that we're identifying like, how does he self-advocate? 
what is, what is their go-to, right? Because of course, aggression or, you know, some maladaptive behaviors can be their first initial, you know, way of self-advocacy. But once that kind of decreases, like sometimes the self-advocacy isn't um, as blatant. So we just always need to be aware of that. I think for me, specifically with the podcast and talking about the cameras, um, because I only do in-home services, I... I mean, the camera situation would be, you know, interesting if I chose to do that. Um, One thing that I really um, have been pondering since I listened to the podcast is the use of like baby monitors, um, the videos that, you know, are obviously not connected to any internet or, you know, they can't view on their phones. Um, Because I do have a lot of families who, um, you know, outside of parent training, they're in the home. Someone 18 or older has to be in the home at all times during session. And but that doesn't always mean that they're sitting right there during the entire session. And so I think um, I have thought about, well, if we had a baby monitor and the camera and um, you know volume was up, even in a central location of the home, um, it may be you know just another extra step of you know safety. Um, one of the other things a lot of our sessions do in the home sometimes start in one general area because we can work on control, right? And getting them comfortable with just ABA in general. But I always, my goal always is to move throughout the home very freely. Um, sometimes it doesn't happen because if there's, you know, a lot going on in the home, lots of people in and out, you can't, you know, sometimes you can't do that. But that's always my goal is that we're doing different activities throughout the entire home. And, you know, families be bopping around, parents, you know, here and they're within earshot of kind of what's going on. Um, and then certainly um, if, you know, I always tell them if you want to sit in on any sessions, you know, you're more than welcome just to come in, you know, and, and sit in on the session. So, you know, there's that. The, the other thing in the podcast that I kind of wanted to comment on is just reminding us that um, my staff, several of them, um, you know, throughout the years have come to me and said like, Hey, this situation kind of went on or we did. Um, sometimes we have provided services, um, within a daycare. And so the parents aren't necessarily the ones appointed, right? It's the daycare staff that are appointed, but if there's anything going on, I have had, you know, certain situations where the techs have come to me concerned about some of the situations that they're seeing. And my first thing to tell them always is, okay, you know, go ahead and put like put it down in writing, turn it into me within 24 hours. And then also if you're feeling like this is something, you know, that you need to share beyond me, um, it's not my place to tell you whether you should or shouldn't. So, you know, it's not our place also to decide whether that interaction was appropriate or not. Um, you give the information to who, you know, needs to have the information and then they decide, right? They investigate, they decide. And there's never anything wrong with us reporting something that we think may be crossing the lines, right? Because that's, I mean, that's where the safety really comes comes in. And so um, that's really important. Want to start an ABA practice, but not sure where to start? Have an ABA practice, but not 100% confident on the business side? We have you covered. Join our ABA Business Leaders membership. With over 60 hours of content, we walk you through all areas of starting and expanding your ABA practice. From getting your LLC all the way through ethics and of owning a practice. Oh, and it also comes with CEUs. 34. Yeah, 34 CEUs. All the CEUs you need to get your two-year recertification. To find out more, go to 3pisquared.com and click on Courses.
I think it is hard when you have people in an environment who don't necessarily always understand fully, like um, the hierarchy of prompts, right? And so when we're doing some hand over hand, I think that sometimes they immediately think that it's a red flag. Um, when we're talking more about like hand over hand during, um, if we're doing some fine motor things, right? It's more about, you know, building that muscle, um, muscle strength and that they just don't have the capacity right then to do that. And so we're working on it and then explaining um, graduated guidance. So I think too, education of the, of the people in the environment too is super important. Um, and of course, if there's any prompting going on that seems aggressive in nature, I mean, call it out and point it out and say like, hey, yeah, like I see it might be a little bit frustrating right now. Yeah. Can you take, you know, do you need to take a break? Um, that would be certainly, certainly helpful. One of the things that we've um, done in our center location is we have um, walkie talkies like in central locations with the therapists and upstairs with the admin staff so that if they need help or they need assistance with the behavior issue that's going on at the time, then they can request help from other staff. Um, they can get help from the other staff to transport, you know, other kids away or, you know, help insist, like help um, intervene in that moment. And um, we provide safety care training for our staff too. So like we try and help them with de-escalation, having them ask for help when they need help, um, those kinds of things. And um, Mallory, you were touching on like the baby monitor stuff. So we have, like, I tell the staff, like, just in general, just assume when you're going in home that they might be videoing you. Sometimes they're not, sometimes they are, but there are enough people with, like, Nest cameras and different types of baby monitors and stuff that, like, they have them throughout the house or, you know, and they're not necessarily, majority of the time, trying to be sneaky. It's just they have them in the house for their own reasons. We've also had some where um, we work with a child in the basement and the mom was upstairs and she'd watch us on a video camera, like, or she'd watch us on a baby monitor. And, and that did help with... It can help with parent training, you know, at times. Um, and also you can use it to ask for help or you could potentially use walkie talkies or even just like the sound related um, baby monitors, like the old school ones. Um, so that way you could ask for help if you needed it or they could hear what's going on um, in the session, even if they couldn't see it. And you can even carry the baby monitor around like on your pocket, um, in your pants pocket or something. And that would allow it to be transportable from room to room as you're going around. I'm going to continue talking uh about what i was i kept i as i listened to you guys talk i just keep thinking more and more i'm like how are we doing this and how are we managing this um and how and, and am i doing a good job you know and um on top of all that you guys have discussed uh i'm going to go back to the to the values of the organization and back in leadership and in supervision um, and one thing that I know that I really started to really emphasize in like supervision sessions or I would do with my BCBAs to make sure that they do it in supervision sessions is the most important thing in a session is the kid's happiness. And that sounds really cheesy. I know. Uh, but it, it is true. And here's how that plays out is if I'm sitting in on a session um, and the kid doesn't feel good. I mean, they could be bored. You know, they could just whatever. <clears throat> I kind of shift gears. I'm like, okay, let's get this a bit more lively. Let's get this a bit more fun. Um, they're showing us that this might not be their bag right now. Uh, and they're like, well, I had a question on this program. I'm like, don't worry about the program. They're like, but my data. And I'm like, don't, who cares? Uh, that doesn't matter. And so a lot of what I have tried to do with my staff is, of course, they all have training in ABA. And everything in ABA is data, 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 meet goals, meet goals, meet goals, et cetera. And so they're kind of narrow-sighted on some of those things. 
and they can it's very very easy to lose sight of the human experience you know along the way and what i found is if i go in and i don't say any they might have really cruddy data you know uh, and i could be like Ugh. uh but they have a great relationship and that kid is super happy i don't say anything about the data i'm like this is an amazing session over time we'll work through on how can we keep that that attitude and that feeling of the session there while we get some of this stuff uh, up. But if we lose that, then none of this matters. Like none of it matters. Um, and so for them, it's really showing like, oh, my supervisor's saying like, this is a priority, you know? And as a result, what has happened is we, no one really gets upset, um, kids or adults, because adults get upset typically when kids get upset right that's really hard for them and if they feel crappy they're not going to do things that would continue to make a kid happy if that makes sense and so by kind of having a more lighthearted approach and really emphasizing over and over and over again who cares about data it's great it is a great tool but it is so low on the totem pole so, okay so we didn't meet that goal in terms of data but the kid loves this you know, like they are super happy, like they're sitting at home and the mom is emailing us, like they won't stop requesting to go to ABA. Like, what do we do? They're asking for behavior plans to reduce requests for ABA. Now, our, again, our data on man's, ironically, might not look great, but the kid is manding and it, it's not just manding for anything, it's manding to come here. And so for me to, to point that out exclusively and say like, hey guys, this is like, I'll go in and, and I'll watch a session and the only feedback I'll say is you feel great and they feel great and this feels like a really great time. Um, so I'll see you next week. And that's it. And there could be things that were worth discussing. You know, like the prompting could have been a little shaky. The data might be, a little, you know, I might have done things a little differently. I'll get to that. But I want them to know that, like, that is the best. And so going back into that, the uh, the articles that we read and stuff, it's, when things don't go your way, you start to get, you obviously you get frustrated and that's when you can make bad decisions. And so I've really focused on what is our way. So I've changed a lot of our goals around to be like, I'm gonna lower it to where it's so achievable. Like I'm gonna make these goals very close um, because then the person is successful. If I set those goals a little too high, they're frequently unsuccessful. If they're unsuccessful, their behavior is on extinction. If they're on extinction, then aggression, frustration, you know, all that stuff starts to come about. But when I set these little baby step goals, they are walking out of all of their sessions. The kid had a great time. They had a great time. And their data do start to look better because I set the goals more appropriately. So I've, I've really started to look at like this issue is obviously incredibly complex but it, it gets into every little facet of what we do. And even in terms of goal selection and how do we interpret assessment results in accordance with our goals that will not lead to any frustration or failure feeling, you know, on the therapist. I think, Derek, to your point, it's supervision is super important. I think what really, what you really hit on is the humanistic approach though. And not, it's not, you know, show me the data, show me the data, show me the data. Yes, we need data. We all understand that. We're all in ABA. We all get it. It's data driven. However, these are children. And I think that the bigger issue is, is teaching your staff that think about this. If you're sitting, if you are a three-year-old child who is coming to a center for eight hours and you are sitting in a room and you're doing nothing but drills, 
and you're not being reinforcing and you're not letting the child get up and move and do everything that a three-year-old should do, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to have behavior and that's really your fault. I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's the adult's fault in this. You've put a responsibility on a three-year-old who's acting out exactly how a three-year-old should act or a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old. Put any, put any age on it. There are some behaviors that are not triggered by adults. I get it. But there, majority of the time, I can walk into a situation and tell you exactly what happened, and it was not the child. It was lack of reinforcement, goal was too high, or the child wasn't ready for that goal. The therapist wasn't trained um, to actually, like, you know, talk about hierarchy of prompting, hierarchy of reinforcements, all of that. They weren't adequately trained, and all roads point to Rome, which is leadership, right, and supervision and training. So I think that the there was one specific article where it was that was literally a battle of the wills going on. That was a battle of the wills. And it was like you almost want to say who was the adult in this in, in this interaction, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you're so. Yeah, I think leadership training hiring, you know, Robin touched on that you're hiring in your first 90 days. That should really be your time where you're figuring out. Is this a good fit? Do they fit your values? Do they fit your do they look at the kids as kids first? Um, you know, big thing we all I always point out is perspective. Would you want to be sitting in with this? You're you have a brand new little baby coming in here, three year old, four year old, first time away from their parents. And you've now just introduced five new authority figures to this child. That is not normal for a four year old to have that many authority figures. So you need, you know, that's something we really emphasize with our staff is these are children. If you are bored, they are bored. If you're not understanding, trust me, they're not understanding. They're mirroring what you do and how you feel and what you think. So supervision is so important and we are so hands on with our supervision. Our, our, our BCBAs, they're on site all day, every day. That's just the way we've we've designed it. We and it's been very beneficial because we can immediately get in there and address something. We keep make sure that the safety, they always know that we're always there. The kids are making progress because everybody is on the same page. And we're sitting there, like you know, Derek said, we're reinforcing that value system of this is a humanistic approach. The science is important, but this is a humanistic approach and this is how it needs to be. And I, I don't know, I just feel like that's I feel very strongly about that. <laughs> I just think it's these are children. This is who you are dealing with a child and you have to give them that dignity and that respect and allow them to have a bad day. And you have to be the one that they're modeling and say, OK, we're going to calm down. It's OK. I understand and value, you know, value that. Say, I get it. I know I understand this is hard. This is, you know, but I'm here to help you instead of being this. No, you're going to do this and you're going to I'm going to tell you 20 times to touch your nose for a compliance trial. Like, no, we're not doing that. That's not how that works. That's that's just ridiculous. So, I mean, I could get I could do soapbox. RS on this because I just feel so passionately about how I love ABA. I absolutely love it. I wouldn't be in the field if I didn't love it. But these are kids and that's where this has to start. And with the training, you know, what's hard is that when we talk about traditional training, um, and by the way, if I'm talking too much for real, you guys just say like, hey, dude, cut it out. You know, we write up policies, we write these silly things. 
And I, I say they're silly because they are silly and they're incredibly ineffective. Uh, we think that if we type it out, it's going to matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, a kid's got a chair up against their, uh, you know, over their head. They're getting ready to throw it. Uh, you're not thinking back to page 19, uh, you know, section B um, on a Microsoft Word document. You're just not. And as supervisors and any form of leadership or even just a, another team member collaborating, um, we really tend to think that words matter. Uh, and, and geez, they, they don't. So I can say, hey, if you're feeling frustrated, take a step back. Those are nice sounds. They sound great. However, in that moment, in that moment when they are themselves very frustrated, their car was having problems on the way to work, they got in a fight with their spouse on the way to work, and this kid just won't put the square in the square hole, and uh, you know, and everything is bad, they don't care about words that they've heard. And so that's where the supervision comes back to, to be like, I mean, I really feel like a, a counselor or a talk therapist for a lot of my people because I'm like, hey, I'm here, dude. Let's just, who cares? You know, like, what do you need? Why don't you go out, grab some coffee? I, I'll take your session. And then them seem like that is that my priority is how they feel. And not because, well, I, I told, don't you remember that handbook you read seven years ago? You signed it. I told you these things. Don't get frustrated. And I think so often leaders or anyone in that in a you know position of authority i guess um they think that that matters and it's really frustrating training is when you see that adult start to get a little unraveled now you start training sitting here reading words and documents and stuff doesn't do anything um and we're going to continue to get frustrated as leaders if we're like but i said these sounds and, and they heard it and they shook their head so we're good right they're not gonna they're not gonna do something silly like these uh terrible articles that we read so I think that as leaders, when we look at training, we need to really start moving away from typing up documents and making sounds um, and really being in the moment with the kid and that therapist, RBT, BCBA, whoever, and work the adult through that distressful moment so they can manage themselves. Did you know 3Pi Squared offers one-on-one -on -one consulting? From in-network audit prep and credentialing to rate negotiation. We help ABA business owners in all areas of the practice. We work with you to create a priority list and then knock it out. Find out more at 3pisquare.com. Click on consulting. And the other thing, I'll say this and I'll stop, but uh, having a BCBA does not mean that you can manage your emotions. And that's the damn truth. Um, I see a lot of companies be like, well, they passed that test on elementary uh, ABA 101 stuff. So of course they're good. Absolutely not. If anything, that means you're a hell of a lot harder to get to work through those moments because you have this arrogance that says you're right. And that's the worst part is it'll take me six months to a year to get an RBT to really be able to navigate a session where they can manage their own emotions to make the right clinical decisions and those that really matter for the client. It'll take me five years, if ever, for a BCBA because someone stamped it and they made that permanent to say you are right. And so if a BCBA is frustrated, which they do get, if they make kind of bad decisions, it's okay because I can use words to justify it. Uh, we have to get that out of our field of passing that pretty simple exam does not mean you are God. Um, and companies need to stop looking at BCBAs as God because that leads them down these paths. of You weren't adult enough and professional enough to manage a clinical session. 
And now we had this bad stuff happen. We tell our, our BCBAs that are about to pass or pass, literally just pass, that you're now minimally, com- congratulations, you're now minimally competent as a BCBA. You have passed the minimum requirements to be a BCBA. Now the real fun starts. Now, you, now you're really going to learn what you don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. This and... Oh, sorry, I was going to say, I'm, I'm I'm sitting here biting my tongue. I want to enjoy the conversation so bad, but this is to give you guys a floor to talk because people hear me talk enough. But I will just add here that like in my values-based leadership course, I've been so excited and it's given me hope for our field because those who I've coached here recently like some of their values are fun. They want their they want their staff to have fun. They want their kids to have fun. Connection, connection is one. Connection with their staff, connection with their kids, connection with the staff and the kids. Like just overall connection and openness. And how can we like teach those soft skills and like be there? And then even like the dirty word, like co-regulation and you know nervous system, you know soothing and things like that. Like okay, how can we provide training for our staff to help them how to soothe themselves in these moments where they're getting frustrated and how to co-regulate so that you know they could be more present and stuff like that. So um, yeah, okay, I'll be quiet now. <laughs> I um, just kind of want to mention because one of the other things that had come up um, when we were talking about um, you know moving away from like you know, never being the militant, you know, style type. Um, but I was curious if any of you guys have on the flip side had parents and because I work in home, you know, of course the parents um, definitely have more to say about what's going on during session. Cause you know, they're around it more. Um, and I've certainly had parents come to me with the opposite approach saying, um, yeah, this tech is just not, not consistent enough, not strict enough, not, um, and it does, it, it poses a lot of issues because like Derek said, well, oftentimes those texts I'm looking at it and it's like, I am seeing this very like beautiful relation start relationship start to develop. And I know that if we can just give them a little bit more time, the other part is going to come together. Right. And the programs will be run and they'll hear it more of like, Hey, we're having a lot of fun, but we're also doing a lot of work at the same time. Um, and so I, you know, it kind of goes back to like the training. I, I really do stress and try to get my parents on board and understand it. Like, six to eight weeks um is really what we absolutely like bare minimum of what what we need to give um you know a tech and a a client to be able to really make their uh, relationship solid and yes of course there's a lot of relationships that i mean it's like fireworks go off you know it's an immediate um you know attachment connection it's immediate but sometimes it just takes a lot more time and it needs to be slower paced because, you know, the kiddo is like, yeah, you're coming up in my, you know, my biz and um, (laughs) like, you know, who are you? Um, So it's just going to take some time. And that is hard to communicate to parents. No, it doesn't seem right now, like we're doing a lot of work, but this is a lot of work. The building of a relationship, it it is a lot of work and pairing is so, so important and so vital. Um, but that has been hard. And I have had a client, um, one client move away from ABA because of that. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't strict enough and, and that's hard. Um, but I was curious if any of you have also had some of those same conversations. Definitely all the time. I think we had three within the last few months. So it's like, I mean, sometimes it's, um, they don't like the personality of the therapist or they're too, too bubbly or, you know, the parents happen to be super strict type personality or kind of more like, I don't even corporal punishment style, parenting style, which obviously isn't working for a kid that's aggressive. 
But, you know, I think it's hard to make sure you're staffing the cases appropriately and, and train the parents enough to feel like they understand why our staff is reacting a particular way and train them on our behavior plans and, and the science of our, you know, how we, how our field runs um, to help them better understand why we're not doing things the way they would necessarily want us to do them. It, just for the overall betterment of the child and their success. Um, but, you know, always look for warning signs in the home too, of, you know, as mandated reporters, because we've definitely had to do that over the years. Um, and like you brought up Mallory earlier about the schools too, we've had to, you know, we have issues with like how this, like the school or daycare staff treats a particular client or even another student in the class that's not our client. You know, a lot of times we'll report that or, you know, report it to the director of the school or principal of the school whoever needs to know and they can handle it how they need to handle it. But, you know, always looking out for the kids' best interest in every angle, whether it's our staff members, the parents, or, you know, the caregivers at school or their nanny, you know, et cetera. So uh, over the years, we've had a lot of situations like that come up, but yeah, I think it's best to always have at your heart of your, your values to be looking out for the kids. I did in a home for a lot of years and um, that, that did come up Mallory where the parents really expected like boot camp and particularly, you know, working with military people, uh, that was like, they wanted, you know, pushups and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not, uh, that's not what this is. And so how I went about that is I explained, like, we have these goals, you know, they're these particular skills that we've selected that we're working on. Um, they in themselves don't truly matter. They are parts of social interaction. They are, no one just looks at, you know, any of us and say, how many things can you label? It's kind of silly uh, to just have someone label something or request, you know, in isolation or answer questions as if it was an interrogation. Um, I'm like, so we have these kind of goals, but they are really just markers for how the social interaction has evolved. And if our main focus is social interaction, we want to do things that draw them closer to us and want to connect to us. If we were to go about this in a drill sergeant way, we're going to be pushing them away. I think a lot of people in ABA have really lost sight of that. Of you use these th- these types of methods, you know, that are heavy extinction based or heavy physical, you know, unwanted physical prompting or you know mass trial types of things. Um, you're pushing them away from a person, and that's going to make them do more of what they were doing before you were there, which is what they do currently is nothing that's going to make them learn those skills that they need to operate in a social world. So I don't ever want to push a child or a client of any age away from me. I don't want them to think that people are bad and you should go back to watching that same five seconds of Baby Shark on the the tablet that you've been doing for the last seven years Um, because that's where you're safe, you know? And so our goal in services is to show them that, that obviously people are good and they're fun and doing this back and forth and engaging with others. There's so much amazing stuff that can come out of it. But if I go up, about it in a way that makes them not like it, then we're only kind of furthering some of these issues that we might be trying to help. Even if we get the data to show that we met our targets or our goals, uh, that's great. But if I still come in and they don't even want to approach me, then I failed. You know, if they don't even want to say hi, if they, you know, if they don't want to just be in the same room as us, then then we failed. So I, I would explain that to parents. And I think that that softened a lot of it. I don't know if it totally resolved the issue, but I think that some parents think that their child has to be unhappy if they're learning, that a sign of progress, a sign of, of change is is distress um, and high effort. 
And I think that we have to kind of change a lot of perceptions about what progress looks like and what learning. And they're like, well, you know, parents will say to kids back then, like, okay, you know, Mr. Derek's here. It's time to get to work. And I'm like, no, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. Like, dude, I'm, I just got some slime and some dinosaurs. Like, don't, don't make this bad. Um, and so, you know, working with all that stuff. Um, or they would run out of the room. They're like, get back to work. You know, Mr. Derek's here. I'm like, man, no. You know, so just really working on those big perceptions and perspectives on, on what we do and what improvement can look like. Mallory, we've had that. I mean, yeah, I can't, I can, can't, can't even count on <laughs> 10 fingers, 10 toes times, but a hundred of that kind of stuff. And I, I think some, and Derek, you sound very nice when your approach of it. Sometimes my approach is more of, well, how's that working for you? How has that been working? This is the, this is the route you've been taking and how is that working thus far? You know? Um, and again, I think some of this always goes back to perspective of, and education. This also goes into education of the parents, you know, we're in there to help them through this transition journey and to give them a different perspective of what this should look like. And I think that, and, I, and I've had parents, and I think the problem is, is if you've had a parent who, like for one recently, I can remember the parent had um, ABA services in a different city and it was, it sounds like it was more militant. The ABA was more militant. And so when they came to us and ours is a more holistic, naturalistic approach, it was, well, I think all they do is play. They're not doing anything, but they didn't understand everything that we were doing was embedded in the play or embedded in, you know, the, the relationship, all these targets can be embedded in this natural relationship back and forth. And so some parents are going to be very adamant and this is how it is. And you have to respect that. That's their background. That's their culture. And they may just not be the right fit. You may not be that right fit for that parent. And obviously, like you said, one of them moved on and, you know, it, it, that's kind of, you have to accept that, I guess, as a provider, you know, that's hard. You know, it's, it's our job to educate how we are embedding these targets because nobody really understands natural environment. You know, you don't teach a child to tack to see if they can just answer rapid fire. You teach them to tack so when they're out in the natural environment, they can start pointing things out to you and and you can start having a dialogue and you can start having, a, you know, you're having a relationship at the park. It's like, oh, look, there's the butterfly. You know, the child's noticing this and they're seeing these types of things. But that's not always how it's presented. And I think that's the hard thing is that we don't and we understand we're building foundation skills right we understand the big picture but that doesn't how that's not what everybody else understands and so i think again some of that goes back into when you're having conversations with parents and what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and still you know getting the same result and expecting something different and so that's kind of I can sometimes, I sometimes, I do say it nicely. I'm not going to say I don't. I'm not, I'm not like, well, how's that? And I'm like, well, so, you know, what's your goals here? And how, how has that been working out? Um, you know, would you, would you be willing to let me offer you a little bit? Try this, you know, and again, you know, we're all, we're all human and nobody wants to be forced into doing something. And sometimes you just got to plant a seed too and just let it grow. <laughs> so. Um, shifting gears real quick, because I, I did want to bring this up a little bit. Um with what Steve, one of the things that Steven had said um, in the email after, um, I think it was right after the one of the news reports, um, and just had said, um, you know, how was this person? 
still maintaining their certification. Um, and actually, it was interesting because it had just kind of come up again um, with the healthcare authority in Washington um, state and some of the things that are going on and possibly new policies. Um, and one of the things that was interesting to me is like the fingerprinting. Um, and I, I'm sure you guys experienced it in your state as well. But during COVID, it was like a hot mess. <laughs> like it was not as straightforward. Um, and I felt like it just, it didn't go as smoothly as it had um, previously. Like I had it down to a T, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And then they kind of changed things. Um, and so actually recently I did some of my own kind of like investigation and um, I called and I emailed and the call um, was met with the first, first one was still due to high, you know, call volumes because of COVID, like we're not answering our phones, you know, go ahead and email. Cause I wanted, you know, I wanted to just pose the question of like, Hey, how does this go? You know, how does this happen? If you're opening up an agency, how does this happen? Where do you go for all this information? Cause it's unfortunately when I looked up online, it's, it's not at your fingertips. It's confusing. It's very confusing. It doesn't say if you are becoming a CBT, this is exactly what you need to do. Um, so I emailed because the, the phone call, you know, gave an email. So I emailed, um, and it took, almost a month and a half to get the information back. Um, and I had actually called someone else, a different department in the meantime, and what they gave me did not match up with what the email um, said. <laughs> so that's concerning for me, right? Because even though I do my due diligence, I know that there's other agencies, right, that are not doing their due diligence probably because of some of just the confusing, you know, aspect of it. Do you need to pass an in-network audit? Do you know if you have all the policies you need for HIPAA? Would you like a comprehensive client or employee handbook for both in-home and clinic ABA services? Check out 3Pi Squared's quality management system. Our handbooks pass funder in-network audits and are geared specifically to ABA. Best of all, we provide free updates. The templates come in Word and Excel, so you can customize the handbooks to meet your company's unique needs. Check them out at 3PiSquare.com. Click on Quality Management System. And so, yeah, like making sure that um, us as, a, you know, our own agencies are doing exactly what we need to do and maybe even more frequently, right? I think it's like annually is typically what they um, what most states require is to go ahead and, you know, check in on the background check if anything has changed, but maybe it needs to be more frequent. I mean, certainly in, you know, the, the news report, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, you know, how was that person maintaining their certification? That is, you know, it is scary. So, you know, hopefully with some of my feedback um, on some of the specific insurances that I've been in contact with, we can get some things ironed out. Um, and figured out to make sure that, yeah, that's one thing that we shouldn't have to be concerned about, right? Those background checks are done for a specific reason. Um, and it's out of our hands, right? Once they've done their fingerprint and done their application, it's out of our hands. When the, to go kind of circle back on the email, when the question was posed about safety, not just about the articles, I started thinking about safety as a whole. And so like here recently in Texas, we've been experiencing a lot of torn, tornado <laughs> type weather and so like I started looking at it and you know the um, shooters you know the mass shootings that have been occurring active shooters 
So it wasn't, it's not just about like, you know, direct care, but just your safety procedures as a company in general. And so like fire drills, you know, things like that. And so um, we have really pushed the emphasis on safety this year. We started it. It was something I wanted to do anyway before I even read this. So since the beginning of the year, we've really been doing a lot more safety training in general. Um, we do monthly fire drills now. And interestingly, um, what I think was really phenomenal about it is that it showed areas of uh, where some of our kids would struggle if they were in that situation. And so it's been, it's really great because it's another natural environment type treat teaching for us to go, okay, well, this child's very adversive to this, but this is incredibly important because a fire doesn't care if you're taking a nap or a fire doesn't care if it's 8 a.m. or 5 p.m., you know, so that has opened up that has opened up a lot of dialogue with supervisors and all of us in general. Same with like your um, active shooters. We do active shooter training. We um, not only that, um, we've started talking about if we have kids who are who are maybe have a lot of vocal stereotypy that could potentially be loud if there was a shooter. And, you know, the idea of that is to be quiet and stay behind the locked doors. Um, and so how would we address that? You know, how do we make sure that the child and the staff stay safe or something like that? Um, so when the when I looked at the initial, I thought about safety from a, even that standpoint of how how can we make sure because the more prepared you are and the more trained you are, the less likely for panic, right? Um, however, I, you know, who's, how are we all going to react if there was a shooter that came in? But still, the idea of making sure that you know that your staff is prepared and knows what to do, where to go, who to call, and the whole hierarchy of that, um, that has really been something we've been pushing. And so now I think my staff is so sick of fire drills, but they know that they're important and they the kids have mastered it now though i'm not i'm not in the beginning it was definitely something we had to go oh this is something we really need to take a look at because if your goal is to get your little ones back into a school setting or into any kind of school setting or inclusionary setting you have to be prepared for those types of natural natural disasters or not natural disasters and the only way that they're going to keep them safe is preparing them and so we also do send out after we do a drill like that, we will send out an email to the parents to let them know that we have performed that in case the kids go home and talk about it. And we just have a template that we send out and say, your children may be talking about this. This is what occurred. This, you know, just so that they're very informed. And the other thing we started doing safety wise in that is we started including it into our parent handbook outlining some of our safety procedures so that parents are aware you know we've always had it in there that we're mandated reporters um but going in a, a step further we we perform these types of drills this is the type of training our staff receives these are our expectations um of our staff you know they're required to do this we do background checks all of this so that they're also the parents also know that we have done our due diligence to um ensure that our staff are trained and that they have we've done everything to hopefully mitigate anything that could potentially cause harm down the line um a, you know your health and physical forms for anything medical that's a big one because you know we work with a sensitive population um, making sure food all of that so i kind of looked at the safety not just about that but just overarchingly what does safety look like um and kind of like 
trying to incorporate that as much as I can and really emphasize that and really really make sure the staff is constantly trained on that and that we keep up with that and I'm not gonna lie it's hard sometimes because sometimes you feel like you should just everybody should just know but really people just don't know and when you're you have to think about it as if well there's no emergency going on right now so it does make sense but if you're in an emergency situation everybody's going to be like Phew. so you've got to get that muscle memory down with your staff and for the kids too so that they keep so that they stay calm the kids will stay calm because your team is calm and that's the important part so that was just something a little bit i was thinking about on the safety issue just a little more into maybe a little bit off of what we were talking about but just in general yeah for sure i mean safety in general is huge right and that's like people are you know leaving their children with us, right? So we're responsible for other people's babies, um, no matter how old they are. Um, so safety of all kinds is very important. And I wanna I wanna respect everyone's time. So probably wanna start kind of wrapping up. And so, but what I would like to do is give everybody like a chance to kind of say their final word for today. Um, and then um, as a panel, as a group, we can talk and see kind of like, if we want to build off of this for next month and and go into some more safety or if there are specific points that you want to discuss more. And for those of you who are listening or watching, please give us your feedback and let us know if there are any you know, points of safety or anything that we talked about today that you would want to discuss in more detail. And we can definitely arrange that. So I'll go ahead and leave it to you guys for each of you to like, you know, spend a couple of minutes to like, say your your final takeaway for today or you know however you want to close out i was just going to add something um not 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 too much a tangent but like as far as like looking for warning signs in the kids or adults and and individuals that we work with of potential abuse um whether it's physical or sexual abuse um looking out for those signs and looking for those signs to make sure that you know the kids aren't getting scratch marks they don't have bruises they don't have they're not having any major changes in their behavior. They're not suddenly having, you know, medically not necessary urinary accidents and retreating and acting depressed or, you know, having negative self-talk if they're a verbal individual. Um, things like that to, to look out for those types of things. Because um, I can I can think of, you know, an, you know, years ago I had an individual that wasn't a staff member that was inappropriately assaulting her, but it was, you know, someone that you know that she lived in like a community with other adult individuals and um she was being assaulted by one of those individuals that she ended up labeling her boyfriend later but but it got to a point where she was feeling uncomfortable and she wasn't telling anyone and you know was having a lot of urinary accidents stopped taking care of herself she was smelling really bad she stopped you know taking like stopped bathing and you know she was just walking around and and filth all the time just to make herself kind of repulsive and disgusting to the other individual. You know, hopefully we never have to, you know, encounter, you know, a child or adult that we work with that is being abused or, but just know that there's different signs for different people, but to look out for their changes in behavior and, and know that maybe there is something that could be possibly going on. Or if a kid is suddenly, you know, saying really inappropriate things or voicing desires to self-harm or harm others, you know, um, or their mom said they were going to X, Y, and Z them or whatever. So, so look for those things. Cause those have happened. I've, I've been around for a while and, and things have happened over the years where we've had to report things. We've, you know, looked for certain signs of behavior and sometimes they're, you know, unfounded and that's great news. And sometimes they are, and that's heartbreaking. So, you know, it's important just to kind of, 
you know the kiddos, you know the, the individuals you work with, and when they have any major drastic changes, just to have a heart and try and get, delve deeper into it and not just assume if it's just a one-off that they're having a bad day and consider there might be other things possibly going on. Our newest course starts June 20th. The seven-event course on revenue cycle management will cover the following topics. Authorizations, ABA billing codes, including group, uh, secondary billing, denials, EOBs, clearing houses, and a sneak peek at our new billing app. If you can't attend the live events, don't worry, they are recorded so you can watch them on your own time. This course is in partnership with Autism Practice Solutions, Cal Medical Billing, and Cube Therapy Billing. For more information, go to 3PiSquare.com and click on Courses. Well, I'm fortunate that I've never had uh, any of those situations. Very grateful I, I haven't. Maybe it's partly why I want to stay small, like forever, uh, to kind of reduce the chance of anything like that ever happening. Um, but for, for just some of my own like closing thoughts on this, which is hard to close my thoughts on it because, again, it is so big. But I, I, I think that it would be helpful for everyone at ABA and any human service profession, uh, teaching, speech, OT, you know, they are not any different. You know, we have families that come to us being like, well, hey, the speech therapist was doing this to him. And I'm like, you know, yeah, like that's not good. Or like the OT was forcing me to do this. And I'm like, yeah, if you look at therapy as a thing, as a service, not just ABA therapy, but therapy in general, it's hard to call something therapeutic that causes distress, that causes emotional distress, or of course, any physical distress. It's really hard to call that therapeutic. And so for me, any advice I could give to anyone in ABA or again, any helping profession is that it is therapy. And oftentimes when I have these discussions with BCBAs or something, they go, well, that's not the real world. And I'm like, therapy is not the real world. Therapy is to prepare you for the real world. That's why it exists, period. Any kind of therapy is a little segment of time to where the conditions are controlled. It is safe. It should be comfortable. It should be supportive of that person. And again, talk therapy, whatever type of therapy. Is talk therapy the real world? Is speech therapy the real world? Like that idea needs to go out the window. And then the argument of, well, in 30 years, if they're, you know, husband or wife, they're not going to like that. Shut up. Like it drives me nuts. In 40 years, they will be a fully functioning, like totally different story. To let go of all of these little things that we tell ourselves to justify what could be bad work. It is therapy and it is supposed to be helping someone. And I've never seen help that hurts. Um, in any way. Uh, and so for me, if you identify as a therapist of any nature um, and you see signs of hurt, displeasure, it, you're, you're really going against your, your purpose there. And of course, that relates to the articles that we read that relates to, to a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, but of knowing your role and it is always to help people. And I just don't see how we're doing it by giving them hard experiences or bad experiences. Life is hard enough it shouldn't be when they're with us. One thing that um, I just, like April said, I mean, I do think that we could continue on this conversation because I think one of the other things is that um, outlining, you know, exactly if you are, you know, if there's accusations made against you or your staff, like 
where do you go? What exactly do you do? Um, and it's never a place of like, I'm defending, right? It's always a place of like, hey, um, they're saying these things happened. We cannot watch everything 100% of the time. So, you know, I maybe, maybe you can say without a shadow of a doubt, like that did not happen because you were there. But if you weren't there, right? Never saying like, well, that didn't happen, you know, but where do we go with that information, right? What do we do with that information? What steps do we need to take? How do we guide the um, RBTs to also, you know, take ownership if, if there is some things going on, like take ownership? How do we correct? How do we rectify? What are those things? Because again, if we are mandated reporters and we're reporting, it, it's never a malicious thing, right? It's, we're reporting so that people are getting help. Right. You know, or people will say like, you know, oh, you know, call CPS. Um, calling CPS should not be looked at as a, um, a very negative thing. Right. We're, we're making that call because we want them to come out and help. Right. We want them to maybe give more um, training or maybe give more supports, find more resources for this family. Um, so I think, yeah, I would love to continue the conversation and maybe take it into that direction of like, yeah, where, where do you go? Where do you go from there? Well, I'm pretty sure any conversation that we always get on together, we always decide that we could do 10, 12, 1500 more segments on it. Um, you know, there's just so many things to that. There's so many different ways to look at this and so many different things to hit upon. And every time we, we get together and we talk, I mean, I'm always like, yeah, that's right. That could be its own thing. Or, yeah, that's right. That's another conversation we could all have, especially with the amount of experience you have here on this board with all of us here who been in this for so long um, and have seen so much. Um, I think that your the biggest start always comes from your communication with your staff um, and communication with parents and always having that open door, that transparency, that trust, building that trust, building that relationship. Um, and remembering, like Derek said, this is a humanistic, you know, these are humans, you know, your staff are humans, your kids are humans, your parents are humans. We're not always going to be on our game. And if you see something, you need to say something. And it's not a, I hope this goes away, or I let it go under the rock, go under the, swept under the rug. I think too is you notice something out of characteristic behaviors, communication. We all know that, right? So pay attention to that behavior. If it's in your clients or if it's in your staff or it's in your parents, you just, you never know what a person's going through at any given moment. Um, and, and paying attention to that and drawing attention to it and saying, hey, let's have a conversation. Um, I've, I've noticed this and I think your best friend is your, you know, if you see something, you, you write it down. There's an incident report filled out within 24 hours and it's given to the right person to make the decision on if it needs to be investigated or if it's, this is just something that we're going to address and we're going to get to the bottom of it. But and then what where do we go from there? Is it maybe a call to the police? Is it the CPS? Is who is it, you know, or you, we need to have a conversation with our staff, whatever. So I think that in closing for me, it's, it's just, you know, you see that, see something, say something and, 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 and just remember we're dealing with humans and you are not always dealing with the person at their best. You're just not, we're all different. And every day we come into work, you know, somebody on 635 here in Dallas, you know, and it's horrible highway, you know, or they had a fight with their spouse, you know, like Derek said earlier, or maybe the kids just didn't sleep well that night. Well, do you want somebody in your face if you didn't sleep well? <laughs> you know, so that would be my thing is watch that behavior, get a, you know, pay attention to it and take it serious. Don't just say, oh, 
this is nothing. And this is, they're trying to tell you something. Somebody's trying to tell you something through your behavior. So. Well, thank you guys so much. I can't tell you, I can't express how happy I am that we were able to get together today and kind of get the, get the team back together to start talking about the important things. So thank you so very much for your time and for being here today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Hopefully it was helpful. If you would like to gain access to this entire video and actually our entire library of videos, please join our ABA Business Leaders membership. You can find that at www.3piesquare.com.